You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Out of Sight. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read you a couple of stories about Jesus and some blind people, and then we're going to look at some other passages in ways that sometimes we're out of sight. And sometimes, all the time, God is out of sight. Let's start in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew nine twenty seven and following. It says, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now you say, well, they followed him. Imagine you're two blind guys. You're blind. So you think, well, following somebody would be easy. You could see Jesus, maybe you could follow him. They can't see him. But they are following him, listening to the crowd, maybe where it's going. And as they keep following Jesus, they are crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, and they're screaming out, and Jesus keeps moving. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, probably one of the most bizarre things you're ever going to read in the Bible. You got two blind guys, they've been screaming. It's not like he didn't know they're back there, I wouldn't think. Son of David, have mercy on us. That He finally gets to his house, he goes in, these guys come on in, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. Now, how are you going to be blind and not tell anybody if you've been healed, number one? But look at this little phrase here. According to your faith, let it be to you. Now, that puts a lot of onus on these blind guys. Jesus can do whatever he wants to do, but somehow puts the deal back on them and says, All right, you're out of sight, literally. You're blind. And you've come to me, and I know you want me to heal you. In this case, he knew that. Obviously, that's what he assumes here. But he says to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said, yes, Lord. He touched their eyes. According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, see that no one knows it. Which I don't know why he even told people this kind of stuff, because it tried to slow them down. If you've been blind your whole life, or even a portion of your life, and you're healed, you're going to tell everybody that knows you, how are you going to hide it? It's impossible to hide if you're truly blind and you're healed. Go to Mark chapter 10, another blind gentleman in the Scriptures. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, a few pages to your right. This is a different situation. For some reason, this guy's not following Jesus. He's sitting by the road. He's called Blind Bartimaeus. And in verse 46, it says, Now they came to Jericho. Obviously, Jesus is part of this group. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples... And a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now this guy is a beggar. He is a blind beggar. A beggar, if you think about it, if you ever seen anybody begging, I think of a guy I see all the time at a certain intersection. He sits on the ground, puts his hand out. 
you know what, whatever his deal is, he is looking for a handout. A beggar usually is somebody who wants you to give them something to help them through that day, that afternoon, that morning even. And so here's this blind beggar, people knew him. He's sitting there on the side of the road and he cries out similar thing, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. Hey, you got lucky. The Messiah stopped, and he heard your cry, and he wants to talk to you. And throwing aside his garment, he arose and came to Jesus. Now look at verse 51. Just amazing stuff in the Scriptures. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And I'm not saying Jesus has said, you know, I'm a genie, just ask me anything and I'll do it. But that's a pretty wide open question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, what could this guy have said? He's a blind beggar. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm looking for a handout. Do you have something you can hand me? He had to be specific. He's got the chance of a lifetime, whether he realizes who Jesus is completely or not. He's probably heard of him and knows that Jesus can do miraculous things, probably, based on what he asked for. He didn't ask for alms. He didn't ask for just a handout. Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, meaning teacher here, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. He went all the way. The number one problem he had, he went straight at Jesus and said specifically that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Now, let me slow this down a little bit and just say something very specific to you. I think you got a shot at asking Jesus for something more than you realize. And I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be astonished, hopefully not disappointed, but I do think there'll be some of that, that Jesus may look at some of us and say, you know what, if you had just asked. See, there's a difference in Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, I'll have mercy on you. Anything else? No, just have mercy on me. Okay, well, that may get you into heaven mercy, but what specifically is going on in your life that if you stopped and thought about it, you say, you know what? I don't know that I've ever asked God about this situation. You'd be amazed how many marriages are in trouble and people fighting and screaming and clawing each other's eyes out and just chaos in a home. And if you stop them and ask them, okay, what's going on here? Well, we're just not, things aren't working out in our relationship. And a simple question, have you asked God to do anything about it specifically? Well, no. I've asked him to kill her a couple times, but you know, or him as the case may be. You'd be amazed what specifically, just specific requests, asking God for something specific. Say, God, I'm asking you to do something. And the way it works, the more impossible it is, the more amazing it is for God to do it. Because when you get to a place you can't make it happen, when he does it, It's all him, and it's about his honor and his glory and him getting the credit and the praise for whatever happens. So go back to 51 again. What do you want me to do for you? Now, let me ask you this today. We got people here. We got people beyond here listening in all kinds of places, in their cars, wherever they may be. The question is this. What, if Jesus asked you this question, what do you want me to do for you? What would you ask him? You say, well, I've been asking him that. Then keep asking Or ask him if you're asking for the right thing, for the right reason, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Go to Luke chapter 1. Familiar passage. 
to some, maybe you haven't read this in a long time or ever. You know, for a long time, Jesus was out of sight. There are places in the Old Testament where Jesus might have shown up, just appeared to different people, different situations, the angel of the Lord, but actually being born, coming to earth, not showing up, being born. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and following, this is what it reads. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? She's the virgin Mary. How in the world can I be pregnant if I've never been with a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And then look what Mary, how she responds. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What kind of faith, what does it take to respond in this way? The angels come and said, you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Who's going to believe that? I mean, the whole thing is just preposterous. But she says, let it be to me according to your word. Now, let me ask you the flip side. I asked you earlier about the blind guy. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? You know what that would be. But what if God comes to you and says something completely different? Something you think, man, this is nuts. I didn't sign up for this. Let it be to me according to your word. What if God said literally, this is your lot. This is how you're going to have to suffer. It takes maybe even more faith to trust God in the midst of that circumstance without complaining, whining, getting angry with God, getting bitter and saying, you know what, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say it is well with my soul, I'm going to go with it and trust God in the midst of this. It may be your marriage, it may be your kid's situation, it may be your job, it may be a relationship, it may be a brother or sister, who knows what it is, but God may ask you just to have faith in the midst of it. Go to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. If you've ever looked for a definition for faith, it's literally right here in the Scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And the writer here says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for. How do you know it's going to happen? You can't prove it, but by faith you say, God, I know it's out there. I know it's coming, and I'm holding on to that by faith. And people say, well, that's foolish. You can't prove any of that. Why are you holding on to that? Well, how's what you're holding on to working out? People with no hope, no faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, there's a lot in our lives, and the Scripture talks about a lot of things that are out of sight. They're bizarre, they're miraculous, incredible, not provable. It requires faith to see these things that are out of sight. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Go through this process of asking. Matthew 7 verse 7 and following. 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? All you got to do is ask. Whatever you want, ask. Whatever you're looking for, look for it. Whatever door you want open, knock, it'll all be open. No brainer, it's right there, right? In the context of Scripture as a whole, yes. But it has a lot to do with where you are as a believer. Go to John chapter 15. Both places, Jesus talking, but there are some assumptions, and you think, well, this would be somewhat no-brainer. There are some assumptions that God himself makes that Jesus made, he thought we would figure out, that would be tied to this. This isn't some slot machine where you go to God and just ask him whatever you want, and lucky seven or whatever you want to call it. John chapter 15, verse 7, look what Jesus says here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now that's the whole of Scripture in the context of asking. You cannot go to God as a Christian, living however you want to live, doing whatever you want to do, sin in your life, blatant, just premeditated sin in your life, and in the midst of all that, say, well, by the way, God, you need to do this for me, because it says here, if I ask, you'll do it. Let me read you John 15, 7 again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That's how it works. That's how the asking works. Now, what is the difference? When you're walking and talking with God, the things that you want are the things that he wants. You're going to have a hard time coming up with wanting something God doesn't want you to want if you're walking with him. When we get away from God, then we start asking for things that we may consume them upon our own lusts. It isn't about what God wants. It's about me, my personal desires, not what God wants for me, not what God wants for my family, but what I want. But if you are walking with him, if you are abiding in him, staying connected to him, and his words are in you, it's going to change your wanter, so to speak. You're not going to want the same things. You're not going to ask for the same things. You'd be amazed that you stop asking for so much stuff for you, and you start praying for other people. You start interceding on someone else's behalf. You can tell a lot about the maturity of somebody by listening to them pray. What are you asking for? Is it all about me, 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 me? Or at some point do you go, Father, my needs are met. I got food. I got clothes. I'm set. And along the way, I may have some specific health needs or something. But beyond that, Father, I am taken care of. Everything beyond that is absolute luxury. God, there are other people in trouble. Let me pray for them. Let me ask you for something. If you seek him, his kingdom, his righteousness, all this other stuff you need, and even the stuff that God blesses you with, it just gets added. He takes care of you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Look at Romans chapter 8. You can literally be out of sight, blind. Jesus was out of sight till he showed up, born of a virgin. Somebody else who's out of sight is the Holy Spirit. But you talk about somebody who can be seen, though they're not seen, manifest the consequences, the result of who he is. Romans 8, 24, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? If you hope you get a bicycle for Christmas, you're a kid, you hope you get a bicycle for Christmas, and on December the 6th, your mom and dad hand you a bicycle, you're not hoping for anything, you got it. Okay? So hope that is seen is not hope. It doesn't require faith that when you've got something that you were believing for, it's already there. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. 
What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? For some people, it's health. For some people, it's a loved one to be saved. And if it's already done, you don't ask God to save somebody who's already saved. It's a done deal. But when it's not happened yet, you hope, you pray in faith, believing that one day that'll come to pass. Maybe it's your marriage that's in trouble, and you're believing that God's going to change something. If it's already changed, you stop asking. You start praising him and thanking him at that point, because it's a done deal. But if it hasn't happened yet, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So you have to hang in there. You have to hold on. You have to be patient. You have to persevere, and it requires faith to do any of that. Look at the next verse, 28. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now I want to camp out here on verse 27 for just a minute. You say, okay, then I'm not just supposed to ask for whatever it's about me abiding in him and his word abiding in me, and then I'll ask what I desire and it will be done unto me. So if I get connected to God right, then it's all going to work out. I'm not going to ask for stuff that I'm not supposed to have anyway. All right, you're getting there then. How do you know what to pray? You know what? I don't know how to pray. So what do I do? I got some help. Verse 27, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Father knows what the Spirit The Spirit knows what the Father's thinking. They're connected, and the Spirit lives in you. So sometimes you're moaning and groaning, not in a complaining way, but just, Father, I don't know what I'm praying, but I know the Holy Spirit is praying through me, and all I want is your will. And he knows he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So pray through me that your will would be done. That's all I'm after. That's all I'm interested in. And that's what happens. Something in your own life may be out of sight. Something that you need, a situation, a relationship. It could be physical, all these things we've talked about today. I found a great quote about marriage specifically here. More marriages might survive if the partners realize that sometimes the better comes after the worse. For better or for worse. Let me tell you something. It takes faith to get married. It takes faith to stay married. Now what makes all this stuff possible? God is out of sight. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, the Old Testament, verse 6. And this is foretelling the coming of Jesus himself. And look how it describes him. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Let me tell you something. This God is out of sight. He is so far above anything you could ever even begin to imagine. And what makes all of this hold together and all this possible is that though He is out of sight literally to us, we have never seen Him, beheld Him, touched Him. He is amazing. He is awesome. He is wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and even more than that. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Though God is out of sight, though Jesus is out of sight, some people saw him. Most of us, unless you're an unusual case, have not 
1 Corinthians 13, 12, in the midst of this love chapter, Paul says here, Now we see in a mirror dimly, or darkly you may have there, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as also I am known. We shall behold him one day face to face. It will not be out of sight anymore. It'll be face to face. And over in Revelation 22, verses 1 and following, go over there, the last book of the Bible. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. And John, here in the book of Revelation, sees a number of things, some things that are hard to even explain. He tries to write down and explain what he's seen, but it's stuff in the future he has no category for. But in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, says this, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no more night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. There is a day coming when he won't be out of sight. It'll be face to face. We will see his face personally in heaven itself. Now go over to Second Corinthians chapter 4 with me, verse 3. A few pages back to your left. For some people, they feel like they're out of sight when it comes to knowing God. They're blinded. And it's amazing to me the Scripture writes this stuff out word for word, exactly how you feel, what the facts are. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and following, it says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Literally, for some people, Jesus is out of sight in the sense that they are blinded. They can't see it. They cannot believe. And the reason is in verse 4 there, whose minds the God of this age has blinded and do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And then down in verse 6 again, God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this is a miraculous thing that happens. I've seen it happen. I cannot explain it. But there are moments and times, could be here today, maybe it happened this week or years ago in your own life, when you literally were out of sight. You were blinded to who God was and what he was doing, what he was about. And out of nowhere, it seems like the light came on and you could see. And that is the miracle of salvation, where God gives you even the faith to believe, the faith to receive this amazing gift of eternal life that he has offered. We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. Or you can get on board with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. 
Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the way You challenge us and stretch us. And Father, we want our lives to please You. But we know that without faith, it is impossible to please You. Help us not live in the natural our entire lives. Father, help us get to the place where when You, Holy Spirit, connected to the Father, knows what the will of the Father is, that when You prompt us, when we do know what to pray, even when we don't, our prayer, Father, is that Your will would be done and that we would live on the edge where we have to depend, where we have to trust, where we have to ask. May we start by just realizing and seeing that we have no control over even staying alive. So we depend on You for the very breath that we breathe. And You are that breath. You are that life. And thank You for making faith sight, Lord, and that the day is coming when we will behold Him face to face. Our prayer is even so, come Lord Jesus. Father, for anyone here beyond who doesn't know You personally, may they just simply say, God, I'm a sinner. I've screwed up. I see it. I know it. I need You desperately. I was blind all this. I see now how I was blinded, but my eyes have somehow been opened. Thank You for giving me the faith to receive this gift of eternal life, the gift of forgiveness of sins. I ask You to come live in me and through me and change me. Make me the person you intended for me to be all along. Use my screw-ups, my past to change my future, Father. Thank you for your mercy. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Richard Ellis Talks.